And now we're talking big money. We got the bits. We got bits. Bits coming out of the ass. Twist bits, drill bits, fucking Brad bits all over the place. Baby's putting it out. You're going to have so many bits, you can put them in your tits. You can put them in your mouth. You can shake them all around. Do a little dance and all kinds of shit. Bits all over the place. You can have so many, you can lick them, suck them, sick them, fuck them right in the fucking... Not for me, though, but somebody else who's into that kind of shit. Each one is guaranteed to be at least $100. No problem, for sure. $100 each bit. How are you now? Welcome to the Letterkenny Podcast. I'm your host, Arish, and this is episode 11. On this episode, Forbes does an article on Letterkenny. Screen Rant releases a series of interviews with the Letterkenny cast. And the Toronto Star reports that Letterkenny, like my waistband, is expanding its brand. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 11 of the Letterkenny Podcast. On January 8th, Forbes released an article by Steve Balton highlighting the season 9 debut of Letterkenny and calls this series one of the most endearing and smartest comedies on TV right now. I'll post a link in the notes. It's a pretty neat read. Screen Rant has released a series of interviews by Tatiana Hollander. As of this recording, there are four different videos. And they're about six to ten minutes long. They feature Zoom meeting type interviews with two to four cast members at a time, uh, along with the host. I'll provide a link, and you can check them all out for yourselves. The Toronto Star reports that New Metric Media, the people that produce Letterkenny, have signed a licensing agreement with apparel maker Ripple Junction, board game developer High Roller Games, and Funko, makers of the Pop Toys. Now, if you can't wait for Funko to start releasing their pop toys of Letterkenny, you can check out Dennis Guggen, where he makes custom-made Letterkenny figures. I'll provide a link in the notes, and you can check out some of the custom work he's already done. Now let's get on with today's episode. Today we're talking about Uncle Eddie's Trust, Season 2, Episode 5. Originally aired December 25th, 2016. Directed by Jacob Tierney. Written by Jared Kiso and Jacob Tierney. We cold open with Wayne, Katie Cat, and Squirrely Dan discussing the merits of looking for bugs in the bottom of beer bottles and ice cream cones. Daryl comes walking up with different colored spirits for the three of them with the bad news that they're out of beer. As they lament the closing of Modine's, Derry pulls out a warm beer from his pocket, saying he found it in a golf bag. Wayne points out it's pretty much piss already. Best course of action would be to mix all these spirits together into what's referred to as donkey juice, even if it's known to make you spit. Well, we get our opening credits. At the breakfast table, Katie just gets off the phone and informs Wayne that their Uncle Eddie has passed away. Turns out, Uncle Eddie was the longest-serving mayor of Letterkenny and got the name Mr. Letterkenny. So it seems Uncle Eddie left Katie and Wayne $5,000 with the stipulation that it goes to benefit the community. Wayne tells Katie, post it on your Facebook, and word starts to travel around town. This starts a Dragon's Den type of series of additions where, where the townspeople come up to Katie and Wayne and pitch their ideas on best how to use the money. First up, skids. Fucking DJs. Stuart with Devin and rolled in tow. Stuart starts to pitch when Katie interrupts and asks about his horn. It's a callback from last episode. Anyways, Stuart brushes off the comment, but Devin and Rold each give it oddly detailed anecdotes about 
the time they saw Stewart's third leg. Stewart continues his pitch and says 5,000 would go towards 66% of their company, which is to help people get sober by using cameras to record the family members telling them they have to sober up, which is like the show Intervention. I don't watch it. Katie and Wayne decline. Next up, hockey players with Tyson and Joint Boy. Their pitch. Take the toughest dudes in Letterkenny, put them in a house together. They'll work out and train with Joint Boy and Tyson. One-on-one, see who is the toughest. Oh, and they'll only wear gym shorts. And they'll be topless, because there's no AC in the house. And they'll swim together and wrestle. I'm guessing this is a take on various MMA shows. Katie and Wayne, they decline. Next up, Gail. The pitch, help people of Letterkenny find love. She'll get 20 women of Letterkenny to compete for Wayne's hand in marriage. There'll be group dates, one-on-one dates, other tasks and challenges as well. The hook is that the final three women get to introduce Wayne to their parents and spend the night. That means sex. Wayne is uncomfortable with how self-harming and health hazardous this might be, and he's out. Katie asks if there's a guy version of it, and while there is, she's out too. Ew. This is their take on The Bachelor. Up next, McMurray, his wife, and Jim uh, Dickens. The pitch. Get rich by selling other people's shit. They'll auction off the storage units and their contents that have been abandoned by people. Apparently, Letterkenny is surrounded by these storage units. They put on a demonstration with Dickens doing his auctioneering and Mrs. McMurray showing off the DVDs and VCRs, mostly useless junk, worth far less than what Murray thinks they are, like a microwave touched by Jesus, probably. Used paint. But because it's worthless shit, people abandon their storage locker. Wayne and Katie are out. I guess this is their take on Storage Wars. Up next is Pastor Glenn and his choir, The Pitch. Well, not nothing. He just wants the money for God's work. He wants to take the choir to Los Angeles and compete in America's Got Talent. He does a short performance, which is really painful to watch and not really short enough. And seeing as how the auditions are the next weekend, Wayne and Katie are both out. Finally up, we have Derry and Dan. And they want the money for half of their company, which makes duck calls. So their pitch includes growing beards as part of their brand, and only people with beards will be employed. Katie and Wayne actually seem interested, until Squirrely Dan says they'll use their fame to condemn homosexuals. It turns out they don't actually have a problem with the homosexuals, but they've seen it on the TV shows, so they're out. And this parodies Duck Dynasty and what actually happened with that show. So, Wayne and Katie... Having gone through all the pitches, they figured, you know what, it's a good time to get hammered, but they're out of beer. And then it dawns on them. You know, Uncle Eddie would have wanted them to have a party. And they do. The whole town's invited. They toast to the memory of Uncle Eddie and celebrate. Until Derry informs them that they're out of beer. 5K worth of beer. They really need a bar in this town. Roll credits. So, first appearances. Um, this is the first appearance of Glenn's choir. Uh, he gives them a couple names, but, uh, I don't think we see them again. Music of this episode. Uh, the montage where they're giving away 5k on, uh, and everybody's looking at their Facebook. Um, 
is Ballin' by Game Genies. It features uh, Kaboom Atomic. They're from Vancouver, B.C. People are doing the uh, the various pitches, and there's that uh, background music where Katie's deciding or Wayne's deciding what the verdict is going to be. That's actually uh, the decision music by uh, from Dragons Den. Technically, that music is credited to uh, Jason Corbett, but I couldn't get a sample because it's just background music. Finally, the party in the outro music is the hair song by Black Mountain. post links to the music videos in the show notes. A couple of notes on this episode. This is the first use of the gag, to be fair. Jared Kiso had an actual uncle named Eddie who was really cool, and so he, he used his name in the story. He actually inherited all of his awesome ties. I spoke about the choir boys. So one of the boys is named Finn. He's standing at the far left. He's actually played by Nick Bogle. The only reason I bring this up is that his real-life mom, uh, Kelly Bogle, played Kim, the psychologist, that Wayne dates in the second episode of the season. She was the, uh, she was too hard. So I've mentioned uh, that this episode is a parody on Dragon's Den. So in Canada, the CBC show Dragon's Den was picked up by the U.S. networks and became Shark Tank. So that probably seems a little more familiar. A funny bit of information came out, not necessarily about this episode, but... Uh, while watching the FURTA edition of this uh, episode, uh, turns out that Lisa Codrington, who plays Gail, this is her first attempt at comedy. She's actually an established playwright. She's never done anything funny before. I know in other episodes I've mentioned where she's been, uh, she's played a doctor on Cardinal. So yeah, this is a uh, first for comedy for her. I think she does it really well. My favorite scene. Uh, to me, there isn't really a particular standout part um but my wife really loved the part where wayne breaks down gail's pitch for her take on the bachelor um personally i'm not a fan let's say of reality shows so wayne pretty much describes my feelings towards all reality shows uh if i want reality i'll turn on the news or go the fuck outside although there is a part i like where mcbarty's talking about storage bits but it goes on a little too long but i like that part Overall thoughts. I like this episode, but 
not really much happens. I mean, we get a nice showcase of most of the cast, which is uh, uh, not something we always get. We get to see a lot of them all in order, and it was nice to see Joint Boy and Tyson. But um, we do get some nice reoccurring gags that get to start here, uh, like I mentioned, to be fair. Uh, this was mostly a social commentary on, I guess, reality shows and popular in uh, 2016. I've already mentioned The Bachelor, so... We have uh, Squirrely Dan and Derry with uh, Dr. Dynasty and how they shot themselves in the foot with their stance on homosexuals and such. I like the episode, but uh, in the grand scheme of the series, it's it's kind of a meh. Well, that's our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Technical projections by me, Arish Hubbley-Walla. Intro music is Who Needs a Girl Like You by Indian Wars. You can reach me on Twitter at LetterKennyPod. Facebook, facebook.com slash letterkennypod, or letterkennypodcast.com. You can even email me at letterkennypodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Now, when you say I spend the night with three of them, is it implied I have sex with all three of them? Sure is. So I meet their families, then we go have sex. I do that with three of them before deciding which one I want to marry. Yeah. Do the girls know going into the process that I will be having sex with them and two other girls before deciding which one I want to marry? Yeah. Maybe more. Do the girls' families, who I've just met, also know going into the process that I will be having sex with their daughters, as well as two other girls who are not their daughters, before deciding which one I want to marry? Yeah. And the girls and their families find this process entirely rational, despite how self-harming, health-hazardous, and humiliating it very likely will be? Yeah. And you say 20 girls and their families will happily sign up for this process. Over and over, I imagine. Oh, Gail, I don't want to date a girl like that, for fuck's sake. Comes from a family like that, fuck.